following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. to start out this morning, um, I want to talk about the Great Reset. And um, I've preached this a couple of times now, but I really believe that this is a timely word. It's something to recenter our hearts on the things that are important uh, as the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the scriptures that we've been dabbling in for probably three years now, uh, it seems to be one that comes up uh, time and again. And it's one that I want to remind us of uh, once again this morning. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 25 through 29. It says this, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. How many know he's still speaking? He is, this is a time, this is a season to keep our ear more intentionally on the heartbeat of Jesus than ever in my life. Now, it's always been important. But there's something about this season that we must hear what he's speaking. But they, there's so many voices, right? So many voices. So many voices. Time to keep our heart, our ear on the heart of Jesus. For if they did not escape or refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but he is promised saying, Yet once more I shake not only earth, but also the heaven. And now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire." That's a, a, a verse that carries a bit of warning with it that says, pay attention. These are really some important things that are happening. And the scripture alludes, in, in that scripture, it talks a little bit about uh, yet once more. And I understand that there are uh, times and seasons where God very specifically shakes. I believe that when Jesus resurrected from the dead, I believe the heavens were shaken. I believe that Satan fell from his esteemed place. And there's, there's things that happened in the spirit and in the heavens that we don't even understand, but the scripture talks a little bit about. But I want to suggest to you that shaking is one of the ways that God gets his people's attention. You know, we see it all through the Old Testament that there were times of shaking, times where the status quo was intervened by the mercy of God. And it was in the form of a shaking. How many in your life right now are experiencing shaking? Can I suggest to you that the purpose of shaking is to shake loose some things that shouldn't be there anyway. To shake loose some things that we've become so familiar with, that we have lived with for so long, it can even be, if I may, an Americanized version of the gospel. It might be uh, just circumstances of life that we have seen, lived with so long that it is perverting our ability to hear the voice that's speaking from heaven. And this shaking is God's mercy. Can you say that with me? The shaking in my life 
is God's mercy. <laughs> now, doesn't that feel good? <laughs> you know, it still doesn't erase the fact that shaking can be painful. It can be confusing. Shaking isn't ever fun. I mean, it's like, you know, in the middle of the shaking, there's a lot of stuff goes on. And I tell you, we need the voice of the Lord to clarify what's going on in this shaking. I don't know about you, but Ken and I were talking a little bit, but it feels to me like this is a season where there is a tremendous personal honesty before God. That in the secret place, you know, he knows everything anyways, you know, but do you ever still run a little bit from God? I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> oh, there's one hand. No. Um, but this shaking that's going on personally is for the sake, and it says it here in the scripture, the shakings of God are always for the redemption purposes, purposes of redemption. So that we can receive something solid to stand on. We can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I'll tell you, it's not the United States of America. When the church learns to stand on that firm foundation, I believe as the church goes, so goes the nation, we'll see an outworking of that. But to try to change the, the nation from the outside in doesn't work. It has to work through hearts that are being changed. Hearts that are being shake, have been shaken with other stuff that is loosened so that we can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm excited. I'm excited about the shaking that's going on in our nation right now. Because things that are not of God are being exposed and they're being shaken. And I believe at the end of the day, as the church rises up in purity and holiness and love, in, in the things that we are supposed to really find our footing in, I believe that our nation is going to be the beneficiary of that. One of the beneficiaries of that. But this shaking that's going on is so critically important. Right now, there's a lot of talk in our nation about the Great Reset, right? They call it a lot of different things, but it's basically what it is. It's, a, it's an agenda. It's a wicked agenda, a satanic agenda to remove a foundation that once was laid in this nation to throw it away and to build upon a false foundation, another foundation. And that's really what's going on right now. And in this great reset that's happening, it's built on human wisdom. It's built on the, the, the frailties of man, if you will. You know, it's man's wisdom at its best saying what we think works for a society, for a culture. It's called secular humanism. There's a lot of different words for it, but I think one of the best words for it is stupidity, right? <laughs> it just doesn't work. But I want to suggest to you that there is a parallel reset that's going on right now. And I believe the parallel reset that's going on right now is a reset in the church of Jesus Christ, those who are called by his name. I believe that we are being, unlike the world, where they want to get rid of God and set on another foundation, what God wants to do with us is to take us off the foundation that we've been dabbling in and set us squarely 
upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock, the sure cornerstone. And I tell you, right now, I, I am so excited because right now there is a great reset that is going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen for his voice. What are the things that are being shaken in your life that just need, they, don't, they aren't serving you. They're not serving your family. Oh, I'm pleading with you, with me. <laughs> me first, I, I always pointed you guys, but I got three fingers pointing back at me and I'm very aware of that. That this great reset is causing me to examine a lot of things in my life. What works, some belief systems, what doesn't work. And this great reset is meant to bring us back and put, be put squarely upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we being reset to? I believe that there is a simple message that we're being reset to, and it's the message of the cross. Let's open up, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. As a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that strikes a note of fear in me. That, 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 that strikes a note of terror in me. To know that I can be here this morning and I can try to be speaking to your heads with the wisdom of man. I can dissect, trisect, bisect the word of God, put it all together in a nice neat package so that it can tickle your ears and it can fancy your head. But I'll tell you, the message of the cross is a heart message. It's not a head message. I'm not here this morning appealing to your head. I'm here appealing to your heart. Now, I thank God for good intellect. I really do. I, there are people who are brilliant. There are people that have in, incredible uh, intellect. And this isn't a slam on intellect. What this, is a, what this is a challenge to is when intellect supersedes the heart message of the cross. Because if you're strictly stuck in a head message, you're going to be ashamed of the gospel. You're going to be ashamed of the preaching of the gospel. You're going to be ashamed of the foolishness of the gospel. See, there, there's this Americanism that has settled upon us that outwardly we will say that we're not ashamed of the gospel, but inwardly it's like, are, am I really? Do I live the gospel? Do I believe the gospel? Do I preach the gospel? Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, to the Greeks, which would be comparable to the American mindset, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I want to suggest to you that there is a message of the cross, there, that the cross carries a message. In fact, there's probably a lot of messages that the cross carries. But the very basic, the core message of the cross, really, I can boil it down to three things. You'll probably find other things. There's a lot of trails that run off on this. But I believe the message of the cross, the core message, the, the, the message that the cross shouts to all of us, it's foolishness to the world. It does not make sense. It does not make sense to the carnal mind. It does not make sense to a mind that is rooted in human wisdom. But I'll tell you, it's a heart message. And here's the heart message that the gospel, that the, the message of the cross, the first message that it sends out so loud and so clear is that God is love. You know, we've almost worn out. It can almost become cliche-ish. It can almost become like something that um, we're so familiar with that we've lost the impact of God is love. And I tell you, even preaching, I fall so short of words in describing the love of God. It was demonstrated in God so loved the world that he gave his son. But it didn't stop there. It says in Isaiah that it pleased him it pleased God, the Father. It pleased Him to brutalize His Son. I don't get that kind of love. I love my son. Where's Josiah? Ah, he's out of here. <laughs> Good thing I can talk about him. <laughs> I love my son Josiah, but I'll tell you what, would I have him brutalized for you? Probably not. Because I don't have that kind of love. There is a love that transcends human reason and human intellect. And when we try to figure out God's love by human reasoning or by man's love, we just fall so short. Can I encourage us just to open our hearts to the limitlessness of the love of God? And I'm going to quit trying to define it. The word speaks for itself. God so loved that he gave his son. Love always carries an action, doesn't it? How can I say I love somebody if I don't have an action that backs that up? You know, I love you, sweetheart. I really do. I'll see you next week. You know, I'm going to go do this and that and the other thing, but have fun at home. You know, um, see you next time it's convenient. The love of God carries a weightiness with it. It carries action. And if we are sensitive to seeing what the Father is doing, when he says that you should preach the gospel or give somebody a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus, even when they don't deserve it, that's an action of love. Roy, I feel like there's a word for you. I feel like there is something in your heart that you have constrained, that there is a passion in you to bring cold cups of water to the whosoever will. And yet there's something that holds you back, and it's the intellect of others. 
Can I encourage you to tap into the heart of God and to run the race that God has called you to? To run with full wind of the Spirit at your back with what God has given you. Because what God has given you, a lot of people don't understand it because God hasn't given it to them. But He's given it to you. So I want to encourage you, and I want to say amen, brother, at what God has placed in you. I've seen it for years, and I love it. Run your race. Run your race. That's bringing cold water. That's love that actually will bring a cold cup of water to somebody. <laughs> love always has, has to have action, and God demonstrated his love that while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. That's love. I mean, I'd die for my wife. If somebody was going to come in and, you know, do bodily harm to my wife, I would fight to the death. I, I, I would. Not a lot of other people I'd do that for. You know, I'm not a gun-toting, you know, come on, bring it on, make my day type of guy. I, I'm not. I just, that, that ain't me. But I tell you what, if it came to my wife, I would die for her. <laughs> but God loved me so much that when I was an adulterer, dope-smoking, alcoholic, hippie, running my own thing, thinking that somehow God had changed his mind about holiness, and that I was a pretty good guy. I was patting myself on the back the whole time. In the middle of that, Jesus revealed himself to me. In the middle of that, that's love. God is love. It's his character, it's his nature, it's what he is fashioned of. Every fiber of God's being is love. It's a love that we can't even comprehend. For now, I just have to settle a fact in my heart that God is love. You know, one of the manifestations, one of the greatest manifestations of the love of God is? It's the love of a father. One of the greatest manifestations is that he disciplines those who he loves. See, if you think love is some kind of a mealy mouth, uh, you know, what is it, the Michelin man or the doughboy? Oh, he's just sitting in heaven on a cloud and, and he is love. No, <laughs> he's not. He is so involved intimately in our lives. It's like he's not aloof of you and he's not aloof of me. He was there with me when I was on the mountaintop, you know, on the cliff smoking that joint. And I tell you, he was there with me and he spoke to my heart. That's God's love. There are times where God has had to tear my back open <laughs> with chastening. He has had to rebuke me. He's had to shape me and form me through training. Because without that, the scripture says that I'm an illegitimate child. One of the manifestations of love is that God loves you enough to be intimate in your life to challenge you into the ways of righteousness, into the ways of truth, into the ways of holiness. That's a manifestation of the love of God. God is love. It's a love that defies explanation You've heard me preach before that when I ask God, God, I need a definition of love. You know, I, I just wanted, I want love defined for me. 
And I felt like the Lord gave me at least a definition that I can work with, okay? And he said, Dave, love, really, at the bottom, at the end of the day, love is the value that you place on somebody that will change all your priorities of life so that you can achieve and maintain connection with that person. And I, I, I said, okay, God, that sounds good on paper. And he says, no, Dave, Dave, I love the world so much that I changed all the priorities of heaven and sent my son so that I could have connection with you. I could have connection, you could have connection with me. That's love. Love carries an action. Love shifts things. Love changes priorities in our life. How can I say I love God if I don't love you? Right? I'm being pretty straight this morning. But the love of God, God is love. It's who he is. The second message of the cross is that God is just. God is holy. God is pure. God is, he dwells in unapproachable light. God is brilliance. He is absolute brilliance. God is just. His just, his just nature, that means that he is fair. How many know that God, in God's fairness, you and I, in his justice, you and I deserve death? The soul that sins will die right? The wages of sin is death, right? That's a, ma that's a manifestation of the justice of God. That God is incredibly just. He cannot be any other thing than justice. I am overwhelmed at times at the holiness of God, because when I look at myself, and there might not be outward, overt sins, but I look at attitudes of the heart. And I see how I judge people just by looking at them. And I realize how far I fall short of the justice of God, of the holiness of God, of the righteousness of God. The fact that Jesus had to die in your stead, in my stead, The message of the cross that Jesus had to die, the righteous one had to die for you and die for me is a manifestation of God's justice. In his justice, he was able to lay our sin upon Jesus. In exchange, we received righteousness. I realized I, I messed up the song Jordan was saying. I, it was something about entering into this holy place. I thought it said holiness, enter into his holiness. And I, I messed it up, but you know what? They're both true. That we can actually live from holiness. We can actually live in a way that is pleasing to God. Because his justice was taken upon Jesus. There's a declaration of innocence on your life this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if by faith you have trusted him with your sin, with your failure, you haven't hidden. And so, well, it's really not there. Nobody sees it. No. This is a time to get really honest with God. So that his justice can be leveled upon the cross of the Jesus Christ. 
This is a message, a second message of the cross. Now those two messages are, are two, anytime that there, there's two completely opposing messages, I mean, God is love, but he's justice. God's going to send people to hell because he's just, and yet God is love. How, has anybody ever talked to anybody that said, how can God be love if he's going to send people to hell? God can't send people to hell. He's, when there's those kinds of truths in the Bible, I, I've, always, I've come to realize that there are two riverbanks of truth. And each riverbank has to be preached equally. The riverbank that is given the most neglect is the level of truth that's going to be contained in the, level, in the river. So if we're preaching the love of God up here and we're preaching the justice of God down here, the level of truth that's going to flow in the river of your life is really, lim really limited. See, I love preaching grace. I'm a grace preacher because I don't think you can over uh, speak grace. I can't in my life. I, I can't even touch upon the magnificence of the grace of God. And I love preaching grace. The message of righteousness and holiness and, and purity and, and all that is something I've probably neglected. I, I really want to bring that level up because the truth that is contained in that river is the mercy of God. Mercy is a place where the love of God and the righteousness, the justice of God meet. Mercy is the place, it's the, it's the river in my life that when I have both of those riverbanks built high, I contain a greater amount of the mercy of God and understanding of the mercy of God. See, if I don't understand the justice of God, I'll never really fully embrace the mercy of God. So God is mercy. God is love. God is justice. But God is mercy. And it's at that point of mercy. It's at that place of mercy where we live as believers in Jesus Christ. I think it's in kind of a... I've got to skip over a lot of things here. I'm going to go down to Exodus. This is, this is the way God wanted to be known. Okay, so he's on the mountaintop with Moses. Moses gets the Ten Commandments. God says, boy, there's something going on down in the camp. Moses goes down. He gets mad. He breaks it. You know, they are worshiping idols. And of course, Aaron's response was, well, I just threw something in and this golden calf popped out. You know, and, and uh, they make excuses. And, and Moses and God, it's really a tender time. If you read that story, I, at least I see it as a tender time. God says, the people you brought. And Moses says, that's the people you brought. And then they come to terms and God says, well, I, you know, I'm not going to go with you up in the land, but I'll send my angel. Oh, if you don't go, we don't want to go. And then Moses, God says, I'll, I'll go with you. Moses jumps on it. Lord, I want to see you. Remember the story? That's a Dave Weigel abbreviated uh, encapsulation of several chapters that are really cool to read. But Moses says, let me see your face. God says, you can't see my face. Anybody who sees my face, in other words, that sees my brilliance, that sees my holiness, and it, you, you wouldn't be able to contain it. It's going to kill you. But I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll hide you. There's a rock here. I'll hide you behind the cleft of this rock. Don't look at my face, but you can see my back as I go through. 
And there I'm going to proclaim my name and I'm going to show you my glory. We talked about glory this morning. I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to show you my glory. This is my name. This is my glory. He said, uh, he descended to the cloud and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin by no means, clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed his head. Contained in that verse, God wants to say, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you my name. My name, your, your name in those days, it, it spoke of your character, of your nature, who you really were. The Lord, the Lord, merciful. The Lord, gracious. The Lord who longs to show mercy generation upon generation. And yet in the middle of that, I don't forgive iniquity. It gets visited upon the children, children's children. How does that square? It's because God is love. He is mercy. He is gracious, but he is also just. And it's at the place where Jesus came and died on the cross where heaven met earth. He made a way for me to enter his holy place. He made a way for me to enter his holiness. Because the Lord, his character, his nature, he has longed to pour out mercy. Now, if you've received mercy, how many know that you can extend mercy? Amen. We don't need to. Withhold mercy from repentant people. If there's no repentance, there's no mercy. You know, I, because repentance brings faith into the equation. And the only way that you can meet mercy in between the two riverbanks of truth is through faith, believing what Jesus did. It's by believing that God's justice was satisfied through the person of his son because of his great love. These three messages of the cross, they're really the lens piece. They're a trifocal lens piece, if you will, that we need to look at all the teachings of Jesus. How many have ever run across some hard teachings of Jesus? I have. I have. I want to encourage you, look at it through all of those lens pieces and you'll come away with some understanding. Let's just take one of them. Let's take the one that we always hear the objection for, that one of the basic doctrines listed in Hebrews chapter 6 is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, right? When you look at that through God as love, it makes no sense. If you look at it through God is just, then when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which we all will, the dead will give up, be raised, the sea will give up its dead. Every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, give an account. And if we look at it just through God is just, I'm toast, right? But when I look at it through the eyes of faith that believes that God is merciful 
and he has chosen a way, then even one of those doctrines that seems so hard to understand makes sense. Maybe not here, but in here, it makes sense that love found a way for me to be reconciled to God in Christ. I'm going to finish with this scripture. James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Good works done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, where? In your hearts. Do not boast against the truth. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I fear that much of the church has been dabbling in the first four verses. But I believe that God is moving us to the last verse. That God is putting a wisdom upon his people. How many want to give yourselves to real wisdom? How many are tired of the head wisdom, the wisdom of the world that we fight with their weapons? They're mean, so I'm going to be mean back to them. You, you know what I'm saying? It's rampant in the body of Christ. But I believe that we can actually embrace a wisdom that is from above, that is pure, peaceful, gentle, full of good works. How many want to give yourselves to the wisdom of God? Let's stand together. Father, I know that these things with man are absolutely impossible. They're foolish. Wisdom that's from above seems weak. It seems like it doesn't make sense. It seems like how am I ever going to get ahead in life if I live that way? But Father, I pray for a new mindset to settle upon us, God. I pray that we would understand wisdom from above and that we'd embrace wisdom from above more tenaciously than we seek to be approved by man with man's wisdom. Raise up a people, God. Raise up a people, God, that are hungry to know wisdom, to know understanding. And God, you are so generous and you're so merciful. You're so gracious, God, that I know that that's what you want to pour out. So, Father, I pray a release of that upon us as a body, upon us as a people, that no matter where we're at, God, we can all stand in line and say, yes, more, Lord. The cry of revival, more, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, quicken it to our hearts and make it real. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.